We are into week number two of a series called Close to Jesus. And last week, we talked about being seated at the feet of Jesus, and we're getting into another passage today. And as I was preparing for the message, I was reminded of a game, and it's a game where it's like, I wonder how someone came up with that game. And so I just had to theorize how this game got invented. And what I would like to theorize happened is a dad got home from work on a Friday, and he got passed over for a better position and better pay. And he came home bitter and angry about it. And his wife looked at him and said, you need to stop acting like a stick in the mud because it's your son's birthday and there's like eight kids outside and you need to go figure out how to be fun and play a game with them. And he stomped his way outside, got outside and he said, we're going to play a game where you guys just sit in chairs. Sounds fun. But then he said, you know what, even better, I'm going to teach you a life lesson. There's not going to be enough chairs. Somebody always gets left out in life and you don't want it to be you. So what you need to do is when the music stops, you push, you shove, you get yourself a chair. It'll be so much fun. Happy birthday, Timmy. And so musical chairs was invented. That's my theory. All right. Now, now that, that's a fun children's game. But, but when it becomes a mantra or a lifestyle or a way of seeing the world, then we're going to run into some issues. If we as followers of Christ say, I'm always going to worry about looking out for number one first. If I'm going to make sure I get mine before anybody else gets theirs, then you're going to run into some, some crisis of faith because Jesus teaches very specifically about how we love him by loving other people. And in fact, there was a time where they were getting ready to sit down for dinner and Jesus watched the way that his disciples and the other people in the room were jockeying for position for the best seat at the table because there was kind of a hierarchy that would happen. There was a seat of honor and then everything kind of went down from there. And so everybody wanted to be around that, that, that one seat of honor, if not in it themselves. And so here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 7, it says, when he, when Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He saw a game of musical chairs getting started and it stirred something up in him enough that he felt like, I need to teach these people a lesson. My disciples aren't getting it. They need some encouragement. They need some words because there's a problem when we start to see people as obstacles. When we look around at the other people in the room and we say, you are an obstacle that might keep me from getting what I want and that's who you are, that's an attitude and a worldview that needs to be corrected. When we look at people as stepping stones, that you're a means to an end, that, that I can take what you have and it's going to benefit me and that's how we see people, that is a problem. And it stirs up and it happens in churches as well as Christians' lives. And you've probably seen, you might have experienced a story like this. I meet with other pastors a lot and I have for, geez, I don't want to say decades now, but that's what we're approaching. It's been that long. Um, but I've met with pastors since 2004 about ministry and we share stories about the great things God's doing and we share stories about the difficult things we're trying to navigate. And one of the pastors shared one time, I I've got this issue, my church is an older church and I'm trying to stir up energy and trying to grow and get new people in, but we only get a couple visitors per, per year. And we had a visitor at our church and they came in and they sat down and they weren't wearing exactly the right clothes, but that's not a big deal. But what really is the big deal is that as they sat down, they sat down in this one family's row. 
as if it had their name on it. And the family approached the visitors and said, hey, glad you're here today, but I want to let you know that my family always sits here and we're a big family, so we need the whole row. So I need you to move. And say they moved to the back and then they never came back. And when we are so focused on our comfort, on our pattern, on our routine, about what we like, where we like to sit, how we want it to be, so that it better serves me, 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 then we're getting away from the person in the worldview that God would want us to have and that, we, that he would want us to be. People don't get in our way. We are supposed to actually lift people up. We're supposed to encourage them and strengthen them. And if you hang around Golfside long enough for me to know your name by memory, you're going to end up in the difficult circumstance where Paul asks you to do something. And one of the things that many of you guys have experienced is if I have time and if I can do it, and there's a new family at church, I will give somebody a nudge and be like, hey, they're new here. Will you just go sit near them? And I know that terrifies the introverts in our crowd. I try to always only pick on the extroverts for that one because I know that you'll actually do it unlike the introverts would. But even the introverted people who come to church, I want you to know this truth. They actually still like when you sit near them. And they like it because they, don't, they know that they don't have to talk to you during church. But people like to feel loved. They should feel loved. They have to feel loved when they come into God's house. Amen? And they're going to sense and feel that love based on how the people of God, how they act and how they welcome them. The goal is always when someone comes through the, through the doors of our church for the first time, we want them to know that they are loved here because it's incredible love that God has placed in our hearts. We want them to be welcomed seven times. Seven times is the goal. And I don't mind telling you that. Some of you guys are here for your first time and you're like, you're telling me the game plan. It, that's fine because if you're going to be back next week, I'm ready for you to start working the game plan with us. Seven times is how many times I want someone greeted here because I know that that's going to make someone feel welcomed and loved. And it does matter. It does matter that they came to church today. It does matter that if they're stepping here for the first time in a long time, it matters that they're welcomed and received and loved as they step into this house because God has an undescribable amount of love for them. And they're not an obstacle. They're not a problem. They're not someone who sat in our sat in my seat or, you know, they, they smell like smoke or they're wearing the wrong clothes or the wrong shoes or sat. No, none of that. Like they're here, they're loved. We're going to celebrate the fact that they came into God's house and we're going to believe that God is going to encourage their heart today. And so we'll happily give up our seat. I, I know that there's always plenty of seats right here if someone displaces you. I mean, right there. So, um, so Jesus starts, he's looking at how, how his disciples are acting and he says, I've got to correct this. And, and Christian, believer in Christ that's in the house with me today, scripture is very clear. It's impossible for you to love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen. Love has to move through you to other people. And this is really the heartbeat of today's message. I mean, we're talking about being seated at the table the way that Jesus would want. We're talking about you know musical chairs, my seat, and more seats. But the heartbeat of this message is really, I want you to see an opportunity for worship. I want you to see an opportunity for worshiping God that maybe you just haven't, haven't put your focus in. You haven't dialed in the fact that this is an area for me to worship. Because the way that we treat people is part of our worship of God. And putting other people first 
I mean, I, I don't know that I can really theologically say which one's better than which, but it's right on par with singing to God. It's right on par with giving. It's right on par with serving other areas of the church. It's right there. Putting other people first and serving them in love. That is authentic worship that God cares about. And if we have begun to shift to a perspective that says my worship only happens during worship service, you're missing biblical Christianity. The way that you treat your neighbor, the way that you treat your brother and sister, the way that you treat the the people who God has placed in authority over you, all that is part of your worship. And we need to see it that way because it's going to empower us to live differently. So so we get into the parable that Jesus is going to give them because he sees their jockeying for position around the table. And into verse 8, we'll put this on the screen as I read it. It says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least, take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the way that he says verse 11, it's interesting. He echoes different sentiments like that through his teachings in the gospel. Jesus did, like in Luke 9, 24, um, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will save it. Like if we try to hold on to our life, our, our way of living, the sins that have entangled us, if we try to hold on to all of that and we don't just give it to God, we're gonna end up losing the life that we're trying to save. And in the same way, if we, we, we want to be well-respected and well-thought of, if we just try to self-promote, we're going to end up getting humiliated. But if we humble ourselves before God and before others, God will actually lift us up. That's when people will actually look at us with respect. So what he says is, if you want to be exalted amongst the people that you care about, then go sit at the kids' table. Right? I mean, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about with kids' table, that's where you have the adult table where the grown-ups sit, and then you have the kids' table. It's lower, it's smaller, it has all the plastic wear on it, not the fine china, and the conversation is a little bit different there. Right? I mean, I, I've got four kids, and our extended family all have a bunch of kids, and so when we get together for Thanksgiving, it's like, I just want to put an audio recorder under that table to record what happens, because the conversations are hilarious around kids on holidays, especially around food. And, and you know that sitting there would be a very different experience than sitting in the other place. But you also know that if you sat down at a new friend's house with the kids' table, they'd be like, no, 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 you come sit over here with me. You don't have to subject yourself to that. Kids operate in a funny way around food. One of the stories we love to tell about one of our children, um, one of our friends made them some food very lovingly. It was great food. It really wasn't a problem with the food, but my, my daughter responded to it and she said, um, thank you, but I'm going to eat this later when it's less disgusting. I don't know that the food's going to really evolve and change that much given space and time, but she knew what, what her plan was to not eat it. She's going to wait, wait, wait a little bit till it, till, it, till it changed. And it's interesting because we know as adults we would never say anything like that. And, and because that could offend someone, we could never be invited back. But the child perspective that, that I just want to pick on for a minute, you know, one, one of the things about faith like a child is understanding that we have nothing to offer God. 
Like we, we, we have not earned our position in his family. We are just welcomed, welcomed in and loved. We are accepted. We are adopted into his kingdom. And, and a child responds that way. A child could say something like that because they just know like, I'm just here. I'm part of the family. Like I'm in. I don't have to worry about being accepted. But adults, when we sit down at the table, man, it's easy to fall into a trap of like, I have to show them how awesome I am by continuing to tell stories about me, building up me, the great things I've done, the great things I've said, the way that I've humiliated other people, the way that I've climbed, climbed the ladder of life, the degrees that I have, all of the things that I understood and all of the things that I've created. Everyone needs to know this. And it leads to people just saying in their head, I wish they would just shut up. Who invited this person? But what drives it is really this fear of missing out, this fear of not being invited back, this fear of not being seen as important. But really, if you want to find your place within a community of people, you need to talk less about yourself and ask more questions about them. You need to take a position of humility I mean, there, there is great practical advice within the teachings of Jesus. There's great spiritual truth and there's great practical advice that, that if you want to be exalted among them, then humble yourself. When you take that position of humility, you will be seen, you'll be loved, and you'll be thought of differently. We want to we take the lowest seat is what scripture describes. You know, another way to describe this would be, I need to push as many people forward as possible. It's not just about putting myself at the end of the line. It's about how can I help people rise up? How can I help other people in any small way feel loved? I'll mess with some of your rides home, especially teenagers in the room. Um, you guys still play this game. Some of you adults might, but you walk out of the building on the way to the car, and what is the first thing that is most important for you to yell out as soon as you exit the building? Shotgun! That's right. I get the front seat. You guys are stuck in the back. I said it's first. I'm going to jockey for position. I know if you have kids, you probably experience this as well. One of your kids will eventually try to test out what would happen if I just kind of slid into the front seat and tried to make one of my parents ride in the back seat. Yeah, I mean, it happens. It's just one of those things. They've got to explore the possibility. Can I move up the ladder? And then dad says, no, that is where your mom's seat. Get back to the middle of the back seat. Feet on the hump. That's where you get to ride. And I believe, Dad, you should, you should protect the seat of the, the mom in the family. Like, that's something that you should do. But I also think that there's going to be opportunities within parenting to say, you know what? Um, you're not going to steal your mom's seat, but you, but you can take my position at this table. I think there's moments where it's appropriate to say, you know what? You sit in the lazy boy. I'll go sit over in the uncomfortable chair. And that's, that's okay because I want to love you and I want to lift you up in every small way possible. And you know that if a kid grows up, and a household that has parents that are just empowering, empowering. It, no, you can figure out how to do this. No, you are doing well at that. You are smart. God has put gifts inside of you. And where the parent doesn't feel like they have to show up the child, we know how that will empower children. But that isn't just true of children. It's true of the other people in our life. We have to humble ourselves and desire to empower them because we trust and we know that God sets all balances right. That as we pour into other people, he, he's going to pour back into us. And, you know, <laughs> with musical chairs, it, it's, a, it's a fight to get a seat. But when we look at the life of Jesus and we look, okay, what, what is the seat that Jesus took? Because eventually in the kingdom of heaven, things are set right. And he sits at the right hand of father and all power and all authority is entrusted to him. In the kingdom of heaven, things got set right. But on, on earth, 
What was Jesus' seat like? Well, on the night that he got betrayed, Jesus' place around the table was the place of a servant. Where he took the feet of the disciples and he washed them. That even the one who would betray him, he, he would wash his feet. A job that the Hebrew servants in the household would refuse to do and it would get passed to the Gentile servants because they'd say, if I touch someone's feet and they stepped on a dead thing, that would make me unclean. I'm not doing that job. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who everything was created through him and by him and for him, his position at the table was the position of a servant. His position was many times to be seated by the, what was described as the least of these. He would spend time with those who were sick. He would pray for the crippled. He would have a conversation with a woman who was outcast around a well. And he would be seated in humble places. I had to practice before this message to even see if I could still do this. He would sit with children. Crisscross applesauce, baby. I can still do it somewhat. Jesus' position would often be with the children because he was humble at heart. And so what's the seat that you've been clinging to? Is it always, I've got to show them how strong I am, how important I am? Are you teaching the people around you to be humble by the humility that you choose? And this is the thing. It's not even about how they respond because some of the people around you will never get the message that you're delivering. This attitude is all about worship. It's all about worshiping God. That I see that the way that I treat the people around me, it says something about my love for my heavenly father. And what I want to challenge you on and what I want to encourage you on is that in the series where we talk about how to feel and live in a way that you know you are close to Jesus, it, it, it's tangible, it's physical, it's words that are spoken, it's where you choose to sit, it's how you treat specifically difficult people. In all of that, you have the strength to pour love into their life no matter how they are because of the love that you have for God. Getting down was easier than getting up. Okay, there we go. All right. And so my chair, we want the chair that we decide is ours. We want it to be reflective of the life that Jesus has lived. We want to take a chair of less importance. Wherever that is, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the car, within, it, within our household, we do all of those things because it's worship. And so Jesus began to teach and he said, you know, don't, don't embarrass yourself by trying to be prideful. In fact, be, be humble and then you will be exalted and you will be lifted up. And then he drove the, the, this teaching a little further into verse 12, which we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What's your confidence level? 
that the way that you live your life for God is going to be repaid in the end. Because when our confidence level is weak, it feels like, man, I'm giving something up. When our trust and our belief that in the kingdom of God, all things are going to be set right, just the way that Jesus went from taking the seats of lowest importance to the fact that he was put to death on a cross and died, all of that was made right in the kingdom of God. But in your life, when you serve other people who are not thankful, when you send a gift and they do not send a thank you note, when you speak well of someone else who maybe doesn't even deserve it and they speak negatively of you, are you worried about getting the accounts balanced here on earth? Or do you have the, the eyes of faith to see and look, you know what, every time I don't get repaid here on earth, I know I get repaid in heaven. Because that's what Jesus is saying. If you invite people over and they can invite you back, then you're repaid and that's it. That's the celebration of it. But when you invite in the, the crippled, the, the ones who are poor and they have no ability to host you back, the ones who are difficult, the ones who have the children who might put a stain on your couch, when you invite those type of people into your life and you love on them and you don't receive anything back on earth, do you have the confidence and the eyes of faith to say, I know that this will matter in the kingdom of God? And Jesus in different places, he tells us to live shrewdly, to, to know that there is an eternity and the things that we do here on earth that matter for the kingdom of God, they will matter forever. And he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. I mean, as I read that passage where he talks about store up for yourself treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth where, where moth will eat it and rust will decay it and thieves can steal it. I almost read that verse, and he didn't say this harshly, but I just how it gets translated in my mind. It's like, don't be dumb. Don't store up yourself treasures in a place that's not going to matter for long. Be wise. Store up the treasures where it will matter forever. And those treasures, I believe, are so much based around how we treat other people. I believe it's so hindered by our pride. I think one of the biggest obstacles to being able to go through our, our week feeling like I am close to Jesus, it's as spiritually simple as, man, my pride just keeps getting in the way. I want to celebrate me. I want to just do the things that I want to do. I want to make sure that everyone else in the room understands how important I am. And Jesus would just say, humble yourself and you will be exalted. Serve other people who could never repay you. And when you stand before your heavenly father, there will be rejoicing about what you did for those people. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. There, there's, you know, the musical chairs game that, that gets played um, at church. You know, this is my seat. This is where I like to sit. I'm protective of it. There, our church, it's hard to be that way because we've had to move locations so many times. And it's like, I don't even know where my chair is now. Like whether we're here or we're outside or at Diplomat Wesleyan or we're at CrossFit ENG or at the Spanish church, which name is so long that most of you guys could never say it. And that's okay. Um, or if we're back here at Island Coast, there's this feeling of, you know, how do I get chairs? And uh, I'm going to 
embarrass somebody today, but I, I, I'm allowed to do that. I have the microphone, um, and you can't stop me right now. Um, one of the days of Diplomat Wesleyan, it was one of the days where it's like we just we didn't fit in that building. It was also someone, I'm pretty sure it was like his first day at Gulfside. And as he came in, I was just hauling chairs out of a side room because we were just trying to smush more chairs into this room so that everybody could have a place to sit. And it, it's like his first Sunday. And before I can even really talk to him, like he's grabbing a stack of chairs and pulling it out behind me. And from, from the minute that I met you, Tristan, like, I mean, his love for Jesus has just been on display in things like that. Because typically what you do when you come into a church for the first time, you look around and you judge and you're like, oh, is the lighting good enough? Is this, is this nice? Do I like it? Does it smell good? Are the bathrooms cool? Do they have snacks here after church? Um, what are the people dressed like? Do I like them? Do I like the pastor's haircut? Is it goofy and weird? Are they singing the kind of songs that I like? Like just evaluating, what are the things that I like? What are the things that I like? Did I get the seat that I like? So many people would just be annoyed. Ah, oh, I couldn't find the seat where I would have liked to have a seat. And some people walk into church saying, do you need help carrying chairs? Some people worship starts when the band starts. Some people worship starts as soon as they're setting foot on campus and they understand, I'm worshiping God through the way that I greet people. I'm worshiping God by the way that I help set things up and take care of people. Every tangible action, every interaction with these people who are created in the image of God, no matter what their story has looked like in the past, they're here today, they're created in the image of God, they are dearly loved by Him, and if I'm close to Jesus, and that love is going to rub off onto them. So church, in our life, in our spiritual life, are we going to play an aggressive game of musical chairs? Or are we going to be the type of person who says, I can't get the chair that I like, but I'm going to unstack and set out a chair for someone else? And through each one, of these things that happen in the background and no one said thank you to me for unstacking chairs, but man, in the kingdom of God, that matters forever. It's tangible. It's simple. But I believe at the point where we look at the little things of our life and we discover that this is an opportunity to worship our Heavenly Father, that's when He begins to do the big things in our life that we've been praying about. Church, I challenge you to bring it into focus. These little things, these little opportunities, these little inconveniences are an opportunity for me to worship my Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Jesus, there's a lot of things that we can build our life on, and so many times we feel drawn to building our life up on our own pride, our own ego, our own want, our own desires, our own preferences. And if we've been building that way, give us the courage to begin to tear it down in humility and allow you to build our life into one that is just pouring out to other people. That we would be empowered out of worship to take the least important seat because we want to give you the most honor in our life. So empower us as we seek to walk closely with Jesus and love the city that you've given us in Jesus' name.